Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. We're just so thankful to have you here. My name is Chris, lead pastor at Trinity, and I've got two announcements and then a, a, a very personal and um, heartfelt update. Not, not that announcements are not personal and heartfelt, but I am going to share two things with you before uh, we get into to, to the word today. Um, number one, on September 5th, Trevor Hudson is going to be here, and Trevor Hudson is a pastor and spiritual director and author. He's written a book called The Cycle of Grace, which has deeply impacted us here at the church and uh, impacted many of our leaders. Um, Trevor also served as my spiritual director uh, during my time away and when I was a part of a fuller uh, theological um, program um, during that time away. Trevor is just a wise, godly man, plus he's South African, which makes him sound smart just immediately when he opens his voice. On September 5th, which is a Tuesday, we're going to be having a, a retreat during the day, and I think that's almost full because we're capping it, and then a wide open session at night, and I hope you'll join us on Tuesday uh, the 5th in the evening. There's no registration required for that part. Uh, we're not having worship and prayer the following day on the 6th because we really want to clear space to have you as a church family, us gather to hear Trevor teach about the cycle of grace, which I think is actually one of the most meaningful models for how to understand our life with God. So I hope you'll join us on, on that Tuesday night. And then that uh, later that week on the 8th, we are going to be having a party here on Friday night, the 8th of September. Uh, we're going to have food bluegrass um, bishop. Uh, our bishop Todd's going to be giving a, a talk. It's just going to be a really fun time for us to gather. I think 200 of you have already registered for that. So we would encourage you to do uh, to register. You can visit our website on the events page uh, so that we know how much food to bring and to make for the, for the party. Uh, following that on the 9th, uh, Saturday, 10 o'clock in the morning, we're going to have a bishop's consecration. So if you want to see um, me and some others in like black cassocks and surplices and all the fancy Anglican things, just come 10 o'clock on Saturday. I promise you it'll be the fanciest thing that ever happens in this room. Uh, we're actually really privileged to be able to host the, the bishop's consecration. We have a new bishop coming into our diocese, Brian Wallace. He's a great guy. Uh, and so we're going to throw a party on Friday with food, bluegrass, and then we're going to have like a fancy church service on Saturday. And you're welcome to come to, to both of those or one um, or the other. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 16. Um, before I read and pray, I just want to say something very uh, heartfelt. I've been uh, tasked to not cry while I say this, and I'm not going to. Um, my, our daughter is moving to London tomorrow. Uh, and uh, I just want to say, Maddie, um, she's in this room somewhere. Um, she's going to, to be a youth pastor and um, a community worker in Chelsea in uh, the north part of London signed a contract, and I just could not be more proud of who you are as a woman, the courage that it takes to move across the world and do something for God. Um, it is such a gift, and yet it's a heartfelt and a heart-heavy thing for all of us. There's a lot of change. Tomorrow in the evening, we're going to be waving our oldest child through customs, and she's going to be there for the foreseeable future. And I just want to say um, how proud I am of who you are and what God is doing in your life and what he is going to do in your life. And 
Maddie has been a servant and a leader in this church for years and years and years. There's a whole group of young girls that just follow her around the building because she has taught them, mentored them, and loved them since they were a little bitty. And now she's moving on, and there are a bunch of young people in this church who have been deeply impacted by your leadership. And that's just going to continue in London. So Godspeed to you, my child. Amen. And I didn't cry. Didn't do it. I hope you're clapping for Maddie and not for the fact that I didn't cry. Uh, Matthew 13, Matthew 16, we're going to hear Jesus. Verses 13 through 20. Jesus, now when Jesus had come into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. Jesus, thank you for this field trip that you engaged with your friends. I pray today that you would help us to see and hear what we need to see and hear and hold in this passage. God, we ask for your mercy. We ask God for you to show us how your life, Jesus, and our life are meant to intersect. I pray that you would give us insight to think true and deep thoughts about you, Jesus. That we would answer with the disciples the question that you pose to each and every one of us. But who do you say that I am? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So our rhythm here at Trinity is to walk through a biblical text and to help you hold the things that need to be held, to consider things that maybe otherwise you would just fly right through or past and not understand exactly what to make of it. So we're going to walk through and name five things today that I think are going to help us. Number one, um, a change of scenery is often a help to us. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to see things with fresh eyes with, and, through it, and with a fresh perspective. We're told here that Jesus in, and his disciples are in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And if you don't know anything about the geography of the area, you wouldn't know why that's mentioned. Caesarea Philippi is about 25 miles from where Jesus and his friends would have done most of their living, their ministering. It, it was 25 miles from their familiar surroundings. Now, it's not a big deal for you to go 25 miles away. You know, we just hop in a car and do that. But when you're walking, 25 miles is a big deal. Um, got a friend here who just hiked the Santiago. 25 miles is a big deal when you are walking each and every day. And so there's a sense in which the disciples are actually a day and a half or two's journey away from their familiar surroundings. And the strong implication here is that Jesus led them to a place way outside their routine, mundane, familiar surroundings. Caesarea Philippi is also a pagan place. So not only is it 25 miles walking, a couple of days journey from where the disciples would have spent their time, it was like a million miles away culturally. 
Uh, almost undoubtedly, the disciples would have been surrounded and even able to see, as Jesus is asking them this question, grottos to pagan gods. They would have seen things that were very non-Jewish, if you will. They were out of their familiar surroundings. I believe Jesus does this on purpose. There's something about routine that can lull us to a place of kind of sleepiness. And you know what this is like. There are probably have been times where you get in your car to go somewhere and you zone out and then you're there. And you think like, I wasn't even really paying attention. I wasn't even really present. And yet I got from A to B. The daily grind of life has a way of lulling us to sleep. And I believe that in this very practical example of Jesus taking his friends on a day trip a couple of days away, we have actually an invitation for us to occasionally step out of the routine and put ourselves in different spaces. Now, I'm not saying you need to sell your house. I'm not saying you have to go and do some sort of five, six, seven month adventure. If you're able to go on an adventure, go for it. I think we all need adventures from time to time. I think that there's a more practical, this was like a couple of days out of their life. But there was a sense in which the disciples were put in a place where they didn't feel like they were totally in control. All of us occasionally need to get out of those familiar trappings, like the daily grind, in order to see things with fresh eyes. I believe Jesus very intentionally took them into a place where they did not have an illusion of control and familiarity in order to get them to see things in a new way. If he did that for them, logic would follow that you occasionally need to get out of your familiar surroundings. You just got to step out of it. And that could be as simple as like going to a, a park. It, it doesn't have to be like he heading to Montana. I mean, go to Montana. Montana's awesome. But it could be just a simple step to disrupt your daily rhythms and routines. Sometimes when we get out of those places, the illusion that we're in control and we know what's going to happen next goes away. And it can make you more present to the possibility of God showing you new things and giving you fresh perspective. Changes of scenery are very important. Jesus takes his friends. And when he takes them to this place, 25 miles away, a million miles away culturally, he asked them two very important questions. And the order of these questions is really important. The first question and the second movement is Jesus says, what are people saying about me? Who do people say the son of man is? And it's interesting when he asks this question that the disciples say things that are informed and actually give us a look at how people experience Jesus. Notice that they don't say People say you're like a politician. Or people say you're like a candy man that's just giving everybody what they want all the time. They say people compare you to John the Baptizer who had recently been beheaded for speaking truth to power. They say people think you're like Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Again, when people experience Jesus, they experienced Jesus as one who would speak truth, enter into the fray, who was getting into places that were ultimately sometimes disruptive regarding people's status quo. That's like the common denominator of all the prophets. They were disruptors. They would enter into the status quo and they would say things that would make people feel at times a little bit uncomfortable. 
John the baptizer was calling people out of one way of living and thinking into another. He was asking people to change their scenery. They went out of the cities into the wild places to be with him and he would baptize them in the Jordan River. There's a sense in which all of these people share something in common and it gives us a look at who Jesus was and how people perceived him 2,000 years ago. Now, I find it very interesting that most of their answer around who people say revealed a kind of biblical understanding. They went all the way back to the prophets. They were saying, you're like one of these. People think you're like one of these people from the Jewish tradition. Y'all, this is why it's so important. We need to know how Jesus is perceived and the way we know that is through our Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. This is why I think what Adrian is going to be doing in terms of giving us a look at the Old Testament is so important because if we're going to understand the next question Jesus asked, a more personal question, we've got to know first how Jesus was perceived by his peers, by his contemporaries. People saw in Jesus a prophet. They compare him to a prophet. They say, you're a one that would speak truth. You were one who's willing to stand up and to stand out against the tide of the day. Jesus called people to look at their lives. And the disciples simply repeat that back. They say, this is how people perceive you. And then Jesus does what he always does. He moves from the macro, the big, this kind of biblical framework of how am I perceived? How am I perceived in the culture of the day? To the more micro, the specific, the next question, the third movement is, well, what about you? And I believe that actually for each and every one of us, God's always trying to get us into a place where we can answer this question. See, it's not enough to just have the right answer. I mean, it's important to know, Jesus, you're not just one who's going to always give me everything I want. You're not just one that's going to play both sides of every conversation as a political leader or a political a thought person. You're, you're actually a prophet. But then Jesus presses the question even further. He's like, but you and me, we have to wrestle through in light of the big general. What about us? Who do you say that I am? Jesus is putting that question in front of us over and over and over again, I think as we live our lives, we're meant to go from the general to the specific. We're meant to get from the, the theoretical and the theological to more visceral, like boots on the ground. And this requires that you and me do some wrestling. It requires that we actually step back from our lives, maybe change our scenery to see things differently and say, but Jesus, who are you really to me? Now I'm gonna say this, our answer on the personal can never be di divorced or disconnected from that bigger question of how is Jesus perceived? What is his mission? You can't come up with something antithetical to that and it be solidly biblical or Christian. It, one gives clarity to the other. Peter answers the question that Jesus asks. He says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Messiah means rescuer, deliverer, savior, one who moves toward the mess rather than away from it. Son of the living God means it's God who does that. And so Peter understands in this moment, you are God who is moving toward the brokenness, toward the darkness, toward the mess rather than away from it. Peter sees something really clear about Jesus. In Caesarea Philippi, in a pagan place, in a dark place, in a place that's outside their familiar surroundings, he says, you're the one that moves into the darkness toward us. You're not aloof. You're not far away. You're not far apart from who and what 
We need you to be. You're one that moves close. And Peter hits the nail on the head. See, the notion that God would condescend to come into the mess was foreign to so many people. That, that God would be distant, that made more sense in some way. That he'd be like fire on a mountain. But Peter's saying, like, you're actually coming close to us. You're, you're here with us. You're, you're more engaged than that. You're, you're the Savior. You're the person who has come to rescue and heal and deliver. And I believe that one of the answers that Jesus is looking for is an answer that reveals that your understanding and mine is that God is moving close to us, that we're not alone, that we don't have to figure out life on our own, we don't have to solve all of our problems on our own, but that God is moving close to us. Jesus had been revealing that about himself to his friends for a couple of years. He had been teaching them about his closeness. And that leads me to the next thing I want to say. I believe each and every one of us in this room has a responsibility to seek revelation. And the word revelation is actually a really tricky word because we live in a day and age where if you say, like, I've received a revelation from God, people think that you, you're, you're off. People think that you're maybe narcissistic or that you are a person who's claiming to receive special messages from God. I just want to push back against that. While that's true, Oftentimes when people have like megalomania in terms of their insights that they have, every one of us, we were made to experience the revealing of who God is. When my kids were young, you know, there'd be times where you'd play like hide and go seek when they were little and, you know, kids are kind of dumb. And, and, and so like, you know, you hide behind something like this. Where's daddy? God wants to reveal himself. But you got to stop and look. And there's this invitation for us to stop and look. There's an invitation for every one of us to stop and look and see God reveal himself behind the mic stand. He wants you and me to find him, but without our participation. And for me, that's like a two-step thing. We ask for revelation. I, I pray every day. I ask for revelation every day. And then you make space to learn how to look behind the microphone stand. Where is God hiding in plain sight? Where is the work of Jesus evident, hiding in plain sight where you might miss it if you're trafficked and hurried and worried and distracted? If we're just barreling through life at 90 miles an hour, we miss so much of what God is wanting to show us. God is wanting to show you himself. And that doesn't mean megalomania. It just means knowing that you are known and loved and cared for. It's like my dog, Jolene. I have a 110-pound American bulldog named Jolene. We named her after the Dolly Parton song because she's a homewrecker. She's a mess. But we love her. And Jolene's not super smart. I mean, she's like dog smart. And the longer I live, the more I identify with Jolene. She doesn't understand most of what's happening around her, but she knows who her people are. I mean, this week was one of the rare gifts as you get old. All of our kids were in the house, which is amazing because none of them live at home. And they were all in the house because we're moving people and getting ready for Maddie to go across the ocean. And it was just like Christmas for Jolene. Maddie comes in and Joe's like, "Woo! this is awesome. 
Maddie's allergic to her. She still gets on the floor with her and pets her and then has to go like cleanse herself. Joe is so happy. And then Scout comes in and Joe's like, Kate could not get any better. Woo! She just gets so pumped. And then Finn comes in the house. She's losing her mind. Joe's pretty dumb, but she knows who her people are. When I ask for revelation, the longer I live, the less I feel like I really understand. The more I'm able to identify with that scripture where Jesus compares us to sheep. He wasn't paying us a compliment. (laughs) Sheep are fragile. They're stubborn. They're pretty dumb. But they're capable of remarkable loyalty. Sheep, like dogs, can know their name. When a shepherd speaks their name, they don't know much, but they know their name. When they're not mass farmed like we tend to do here. In most of the world today, shepherds are rolling around on hills with a flock of sheep and they know their names. When Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. He wasn't saying you have to know everything about everything. What he's saying is you need to know whose you are and that you're loved. And there's a lot that's going to exist in the realm of mystery around you. You can't figure it all out. That is not possible. The older I get, the more settled I am at the mystery of knowing that I'm loved, whose I am, and leaving some stuff in the realm of mystery. There are things at play in your life right now that are probably mysterious to the degree that you're never going to figure those things out. I'm not telling you to check your brain at the door. But I am asking you to be open to the fact that when God reveals himself to you, he's probably not going to reveal to you all the steps that are out in front of you because you'd just get ahead of it and mess that up if you knew those things. But what he is going to reveal is that you're loved. What he wants to reveal is that you're not alone. What he does want to say to you is that you belong to him. So when we ask for revelation, I believe we need to ask, and then we need to carve out some space. This is why your Bible is so important, because when Jesus tells you things, they're going to be consistent with what people have said about him. How you experience him is going to live in that space, and then he's going to want to show himself to you. But here's the problem, y'all. If we don't read our Bibles, there's so much that we won't be able to know and trust. And here's what I know. Many of us Treat the Bible like we treat the Declaration of Independence. It's kind of, it's really important, but it's probably pretty fragile. So we lock it away and we put it there and we like look at it and go, ooh, that's, ooh, that's. Because we're afraid if we touch it, it'll fall apart in our hands. Because we've got questions about evolution and we've got questions about whether that flood was around the whole world or most of the world. And then we just think, oh man, I don't even want to get involved in this. And so what happens is a lot of us just stop reading our Bible because we're afraid that it's not durable. We're afraid that it's not going to speak life and truth to us. That's why this class Adrian's going to teach is so important because you need to learn how to see Jesus in the pages of the Old Testament. This is why I want to, we want to call you to be people who are, allow yourself to be confronted with this ancient book that is the primary way that we begin to see and know and understand the character and nature of God. But like reading Dostoevsky, there are cultural gaps between our understanding and it. This is ancient, Near Eastern, Semitic, so we need some tools, some help. 
God wants to reveal himself to you. But it's going to take some participation on our part. Our job is to equip you to, to know how to better engage, to trust the durability. Otherwise, we add the Bible to flossing and exercise. Is other things we should do, but we don't do. And then we wonder why our metaphorical gums bleed. The last thing, seeing Jesus for who he is puts us in a stable, strong place. When Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, Simon, you are now Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. I don't think he was naming Peter. Peter is the first pope of the Roman Catholic Church. I think he was saying, this insight about who I am is a sturdy, strong insight. And if you stand in a sturdy, strong place, you can exist through seasons of uncertainty and darkness. And remember, they were in Caesarea Philippi where it was dark, uncertain, pagan, and Peter was able to be sturdy in that place. When trouble comes into our lives, the more we see God for who he is, the more we're able to acknowledge, I don't know much, but this I know, I belong to him, I'm loved by him. The more you're able to be like Jolene, the more you're able to handle and stay steady when all hell's breaking loose around you. Because that's a non-negotiable. Life is turbulent, y'all. Life is uncertain it's chaotic it's hard jesus wants us to be steady and sturdy in the midst of all the swirl so knowing who he is seeing him carving out space this is why a rule of life a way of doing your life with god is really important this is why stepping back and slowing down occasionally is really important because it clarifies the answers to these questions for each and every one of us so here's the question I want to leave you with. Just to get really practical, what small change of scenery might you engage this week in order to see fresh perspective? Is there something you can do to participate, to mix it up, to Caesarea Philippi yourself in order to see things in a fresh way? For some of you, it might be as simple as turning your radio off in the car. My radio broke a month ago in my Jeep. Um, and I'm just rolling with it. Like, let's just be, let's, let's let the wind blow a little bit. See if something new happens. I don't know what it is for you, but it doesn't have to be epic. So I want us to hold that question in silence. What small change might I make to wake up out of the, step out of the grind in order to see things with fresh perspective? Let's be still just for a few moments and then we'll come to this communion table. But first, let's ask that question. See if you can come up with a step, a plan.